Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Josip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm again here with Yusi Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby. Uh... What's what I've been up to lately, uh, I think I mentioned this maybe an episode or two ago, that I'm building something like, like not IT stuff. So I went to the store and bought the IKEA Alex cabinet. It's, it's like a small cabinet with, with an open door. And the plan for me, what I'm building out of it is to put all of my hardware, meaning my, my switch or switches, my uh my firewall and and philips hue hubs and and what else is on the table so i want to put all of those in the alex cabinet but in order to actually build it i need to have a ventilation in the cabinet because i don't want to keep the door open because the two-year-old will find it and will start pressing the different buttons in there uh and so long story short I decided that in order to build the ventilation, I need to cut a circular hole in the cabinet to, to fit the fan. I'm using a regular uh, 140 millimeter PC fan. And in order to cut the hole, I went to the store and bought the Dremel thingy. I, I think it's a universal thing. So it allows you to, to, uh, to do holes and, and cut things and polish things. So I started using that last night. I went to the balcony because that's the only place where I can do messy things. Almost cut my finger off, but I did manage to cut a quite nice looking circular hole. So I'm more or less quite advanced in my adventures with Dremel. Ah, oh, very nice. But I mean, cutting your finger off, you, you have to expect some, some casualties in the, in the fighting against furniture. Exactly. It's, it's a bit like when you deploy something to Azure and things fail and you just go and delete the resource group and start over. So I've, I would put the analog in there that cut one finger off or delete a resource group. Yeah, there's a couple of more fingers and you can always deploy more resource groups, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so mostly that's what I've been up to. How about for you? So for me, I have digitalized the lamp landscape at home. So I have fully embraced the IoT uh, lamps by Philips Hue, and I absolutely love it. So I can schedule the lamps to only turn on when it's not daylight or when the sun sets or when the sun rises. So it will save on energy. It will save on uh, you know, the hours I burn the lamps and things like that. And, and I've also put a couple of sensors. So when I walk into my office, certain lamps turn on by default. And when I walk out of the office and I haven't been there for five minutes, all the lamps turn off again. So I can both save on power and the environment and everything across, uh, which I think is pretty fun. And then it's, of course, because you have an app, it's digital, it's pretty fun to, uh, to fiddle with. Uh, so I'm fully embracing that, but also a bit, um, a bit worried about the future of these things because I recently read a, an article about Philips Hue and their, and their bridge which is a device you require to connect all the lamps uh, being vulnerable to attacks. So hackers made a way into this bridge to uh, deploy faulty source code or uh, yeah, malicious code that could then you know, work its way into your, your Wi-Fi and, and router, which is kind of scary. So this, isolating the networks, good idea. 
This is one of the things I spent some time last summer. I, I built a separate IoT Wi-Fi network and I put my Philips Hue. I tried putting my Sonos in there as well to play Spotify, but Sonos is super complex in how it wants to travel between different networks. And I couldn't force Sonos to stick into one network so that it would work for people on the other network. But Philips Hue, on the other hand, that, that was easy. You just put it in there and say, okay, this is what you're allowed to do, and that's it. I'll, I'll need to investigate that. Yeah. So, so on Philips Hue, before we move to the actual topic on Philips Hue, do you have the larger ones, the, the, the really big ones you put on the ceiling and they're kind of hanging lights? I don't have those. I mostly have the bulbs and different types, like the Edison type of bulb and the, then these uh, colorful ones with 16 million colors or whatever it is. Um, and then I, then I use them in various formats, but I also have a couple of spotlights, uh, which is pretty slick. So you can kind of build them into your ceilings or whatever you have. Uh, and now I have Wi-Fi connected ceilings, which is cool. Excellent. So I got a couple of the larger ones, one on top of the, of the dining room table, but the problem for me, and I think it might be a problem for you too, because more or less we share a lot of the same standards in the Nordics. And the problem with the Philips Hue, the larger ones, is that that the, the cuttings where, where you where, where you uh, screw the lamp in the ceiling, they are not in standard width. So you have to like like do one more drilling in the ceiling to actually get have the light stay in 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 one position without falling down. But now you have your Dremel multi-tool, right? So yes. what could possibly go wrong here? Nothing could go <laughs> wrong. And, and perhaps I'll cut my other finger off or almost cut it off next time. But what we'll, <laughs> we'll hear in the next episode how that went. All right. So for this episode, then, we're talking a little bit about securing the Azure Container Registries we have. Yes. So ACR, Azure Container Registry, itself is a service. Uh, I've been using it on and off again, sometimes quite heavily, sometimes just pushing a couple of container images in there and, and let them sit there. So in my understanding, ACR is a storage for your containers. And then you can, from that storage, you can either pull your images to whatever service, or you can go to the storage and say, please deploy this image to this web app or, or this Azure container instance and let it run as a separate copy. Is, is, is there any, any other kind of features I'm missing here with ACR? I think it's worth mentioning that with ACR, you can either push your Docker images or your open container initiative or OCI images. So it's, um, it does have support for all types of OCI artifacts. So, and most of the time when I use it, I use it for Docker images that I, that I built. And yeah, the, the core principle is you have a repository, you put the images into the repository, and then your workloads can create new containers based off of those repositories. And the beauty of, of ACR is that it's um, by default a private registry. So this is something for you and your organization, not a public one like the uh, Docker Hub, where all the images are open source and public. So I, I realize I'm maybe skipping ahead a bit, but what I'm thinking with ACR now, if I have a company and they have, let's say three different web services and they are based on Docker containers, should they be using one ACR and just put three different containers in there or, or how many they have? 
uh, or should they have one ACR per project? This differs uh, because it depends on your organization, the size of the organization and how you work and what kind of boundaries you have. If you have specific SDLs or security development life cycles and you know, it, it depends on a lot of variables on how you handle uh, all of these things, including DevOps and DevSecOps. So in general, what I like to do is I always separate concerns. So if I have multiple projects, I have multiple container registries, simple as that. And then I restrict them as much as I can uh, for the purpose of that registry. And there is something coming, and, and I'm also skipping a bit ahead. There is something coming, coming called repository scoped permissions because that ties into this question a bit. Um, the decision whether you separate by creating an entirely new registry or if you actually use one registry but deploy multiple container images into different repositories there uh, is made easier with the repository scope permissions. And that is currently in preview, but that enables you to granularly say that Within the ACR, this repository called repository one is only accessible with these permissions. So only this access level is, uh, is allowed in there, only these roles or only these accounts identities. Whereas currently, if you don't use that preview, you can say that you can access the ACR itself, but you cannot put granular permissions on the repository. So this is a feature that is being rolled out into preview um, and I think you can try the preview right now in your own ACRs if you want. Um, but for any such uh, granular permission control, then I would wait for the GA to roll out and then actually make use of that. Okay, so is ACR, is that the only option? Or can I use something like Docker Hub or, or something similar and then still continue instantiating my, my containers from those sort of external repositories? You can pretty much use whatever you want. Uh, there's a lot of container registries out there. Uh, so ACR or Azure Container Registry is just an option that if you're already working in Azure land and you use DevOps and you have all the code, everything in your Microsoft landscape, ACR makes sense because most likely you have Azure AD or identities and then you can control the permissions using that. Uh, but it's not limited to that. So you can spin up containers in Azure based on any type of repositories. It does not have to come from ACR. Okay, okay. So moving on deeper into securing ACR. So let's assume we have a setup now where we have one ACR, perhaps click through the Azure portal or using the Azure CLI or PowerShell to provision one ACR. And probably the purpose typically is that I will keep the ACR, I, I'm not destroying it overnight and, and mm -hmm. reprovisioning it. I will keep that as storage plus the yep. services. And now when I start securing it, I see a lot of the guidance from Microsoft, especially on the hands-on labs. And this is probably to keep things simpler. They typically, when you provision ACR, they typically enable the admin user. Yes. And this is something I've done multiple times. And again, it, it, the question is always, it depends. Should you use it? Should you not use it? Uh, the problem with the admin user itself is there is no granular access. If you enable the admin user, you will have full control to do whatever you want inside of that ACR. 
so if you see demos, presentations, and people turning on or, or enabling the admin user as a default and just use those credentials, that's fine. But if you're thinking about production-ready enterprise-type uh, applications, or if you're generally just want to stay in the safe side of, of the line, then you need to disable the admin user. And you, you can then instead authenticate using uh, role-based authentication, Azure ID, managed identity service principles, uh, any type of, of Azure AD authentication for your users instead of having this one uh, user account. And the drawback of using the admin user, except for it having full control to your entire registry, is that when you look in the audit logs, it will say that admin user did this, admin user did that. But who actually requested that admin user to do that? If five people or five services or applications have access to that admin user and password, how do you know what service or what user or individual actually executed that request when you look into the audit log? So sure. by moving into the direction of Azure AD and identities and service principles, whatever option you prefer, you can also get a better insights into the audit log of what actually happened, who did what and when. Okay, so to me, it sounds like the ACR admin user uh, is similar to SQL Server's SA, the sysadmin account, which is the built-in admin account. And typically the best practice is to keep that disabled. And to me, it sounds like ACR, you shouldn't enable the admin user, but instead when you provision ACR, the admin user is disabled by default. Once it's provisioned, then you grant uh, to role-based access control, you grant the different admins permissions to manage ACR before yep. moving on to managed identities or service principles or using just Azure AD authentication for your users to access and use ACR. Exactly. And so you can disable the, uh, the admin user either from the portal or using the Azure CLI or from PowerShell. And after you've done that, then exactly like you say, you need to authenticate and authorize with a different method. Uh, one way to do that is with service principle. Um, and some background on why you might want to do that is because it's headless, right? And then so services and apps that you have running automated tasks don't have to have any interactive type of authentication because <clears throat> then your service principle is already authenticated to make requests um, to the ACR. They're authorized to perform the actions that you give them in the ACR. So you can say that this service principle can only read Right. So you can tell it to not be able to uh, push images or make updates. You can say this can only read images or pull images. That's it. So if you have a function that is orchestrating deployments of ACIs or Azure container instances based on an image, you can give the identity um, or a service principle of the function only privileges to pull the image and then instantiate it. So you don't have to give more uh, uh, permissions than that. Uh, one, one of the scenarios where I've been using service principles is this uh, homemade uh, dynamic IP updater to Azure DNS. I think we spoke about this maybe 12 episodes ago. And I'm using service principles from the Raspberry Pi to authenticate to Azure. And that SPN, that service principle, only has access to update one DNS zone that I have and nothing else. Yep. And, and, and that was optimal because I don't need to have a display for authentication. It, everything happens headlessly and then it just works. And I can still configure the permissions 
true Azure AD. And and this is this is a beauty in in how you can design like the security and perimeter security, but also the granular access controls using RBAC. So there's a you know, on my to-do list for anything I deploy in Azure, I always have one of the, the first tick boxes, which is design RBAC or role-based access control. And then the next box is stay on top of RBAC or role-based access control. Because otherwise what I've seen over time is, well, a bit more permissions were added, a couple of more service principle, a couple of more, more identities. And all of a sudden someone has full control. And then, you know, time goes, stay on top of that ensure that you do regular audits and stay on top of it to ensure that you don't temporarily allow a little bit more permissions or access to a specific account and then forget about it. This brings so many memories from 2007 to 2013 with on-premises SharePoints and SQL servers and doing Kerberos authentication. Mm. You would oh, have sweet this, memories. Yes, you would have <laughs> these 200-page guidebooks on how do you configure the SPNs and Kerberos and this and this and delegated accesses. And you would run set SPN for so many times. And when it was finally up and running, somebody would come into your room and say, hey, you see, we need this to be BI enabled. So you need to have report server enabled for Kerberos as well. <laughs> and and yeah. there's a separate white paper for that to get it up and running. So to me, it sounds like when you build security in your solutions in Azure, be it ACR or, or something else, you start with the role-based access control. You don't just slap the admin account and say, yeah, it works for me, so it should be good. Yeah, and I mean, that's always the easiest option. It's just enable full access. Here's the access key or the, the admin user. And it's, you compared it to SQL Server and the SA account, and it's also comparable to an Azure storage account where you by default have the primary key and a secondary key, which both have full access to do whatever they want inside of the storage account. Same story applies, just like you say. Whatever you deploy, take a look at the access control and how you can do things. Generally, you don't want to use the primary or secondary keys for applications. You want to assign Azure AD uh, identities and then manage the RBAC controls based on that. Um, so that's definitely important. And you can, except for using a service principle, Another aspect is you can use a managed identity. So you have system managed identities and user assigned managed identities. And I use both depending on what type of service I'm building. And the beauty of using that, just like with a service principle, uh, is that this identity can be tied only to, for example, a function app. And then I know that this identity called function app one, two, three, this identity, I'm gonna grant it access to my ACR, but also, to this resource group as a reader to do this and this, but also as a contributor on this resource group to do changes on whatever it is. And the beauty of that is if you go to your global audit logs, you can say filter by this object ID or by this identity and you can see everything it does. Not just in the ACR, in their audit logs for ACR, not just in the audit logs for the function or for the storage accounts or whatever it is, you just say, I wanna see everything that this service principle is doing and you will get a full picture of what it's doing in the ACR, in other places where you have assigned identity to have permissions. So that's also a, a pretty cool benefit. So then if, if I were to use managed identities, then I could use Azure Sentinel on top of this to later on monitor and track that, okay, let's see what this identity has been up to because it, it looks suspicious to me. Yeah. and. 
Asher Sentinel is a complete story by itself, which I absolutely adore. I spent a bit of time doing threat hunting to to figure out some anomalies I've I've seen in various places, and it's a powerful tool, and that would be a perfect fit to to investigate things here as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but so, we'll definitely do a separate episode on Sentinel in the future. Yeah. So moving on, somebody has ACR up and running. They have role-based access control configured. They're quite happy with the authorization. Admin user is disabled. Would the would the next steps then be um, enabling security center, which obviously you already have enabled in your subscription? But is there something in Azure Security Center directly related to ACR? There is, and I think that Azure Security Center is one of the first things you should ensure that is enabled. I shouldn't say that when you deploy ACR, you should then dis- uh, enable Security Center because, like you say you should have this enabled. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's no reason to not stay on the standard tier. The free tier offers a lot, but ideally you're always on the the standard tier. So you get the full package of what ACR and Azure Security Center can give you. Um, Because with Security Center, now you can get automatic scans of the registries. It's actually quite helpful. Um, So when you push an image to the registry, like underlying, there's a webhook being executed telling Security Center, hey, Mr. Security Center, there's a new image being pushed to this repository. Then Security Center goes in and scans it for vulnerabilities. And it's matching that Docker image that you just deployed with a plethora of images online uh, and, and CVE vulnerabilities. So it's going to check, for example, I found in, in one of my legacy images lying around that I had the DSA 3946-1 Debian security update for LibMSPAC, whatever that is. I have no idea. And there is no way I'm going to be able to stay on top of that. But with Security Center, it's, it's telling me, hey, Toby, you know what? I found three instances of security issues you might want to take a look at. There's two medium. They should be mitigated, but not critically. But there is one which, ha- which has high severity. You should take care of that because that is a GNU bash privilege escalation bug. And that is not good. Uh, so security center, enable it. There's no reason not to run it and ensure that you stay on top of the reports coming out of here. So if you do use ACR and you push a couple of images, go over to security center, uh, check the containers tab and verify what the status is. If everything there is green and there's nothing to report, this is great. If there is something to report, start an investigation, whether or not it's worth actually pursuing fixing that. And one thing to note here is that when you switch Azure Security Center from free to standard tier, there's, there's this added fee, which is well documented, of course. But then, uh, as we discussed, I think that was uh, with Tiago Costa on, on VM, secure VM remote access when you use ASC uh, to control your VMs as well to do just-in-time remote access, then the pricing is per node, meaning that if you have 27 VMs, you, you pay 27 times X plus whatever else you're paying for in Azure Security Center. So this is probably just a side note that if you're listening on this and, and you're simultaneously logging into your Azure subscription, enabling standard tier, perhaps have a look at what you're actually securing with that tier and what the cost is going to be. That's a good tip. And you can also do granular enable disable here. So you can say, you know what, skip all the SQL servers, skip all the VMs. 
and then enable for everything else. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's definitely a possibility. Alrighty. So we briefly talked about uh, reviewing the audit logs. Uh, is there any other logs that I should be monitoring besides the usual Azure Monitor based audit logs? Um, audit logs are important. Um, I think that's actually the where you need to spend most of the time checking the audit log to see what systems are tying into it. Not so sure if there's any other logs, um, to be I, honest. I, I often use um, the, the usual troubleshooting logs I get when I spin up a container and something goes wrong within the container. I'm pushing those to storage and reviewing what's happening in there. But obviously that's only telling me the story from within the container, not what's happening yep. outside everything else, especially with ACR. Yeah, and, and when you get that error in a container, that's already been provisioned as a container image from the repository. So it's already housed outside of the, the container registry as such. Yeah, so let's imagine now that I still have my ACR. I've got a couple of images in there and they, all, they are all marked version 1.0. And now I need to update one of those images in ACR to version 2.0. Is it enough now when we have our security setup that I push the new container image to ACR with the new version, then ACR shows me 1.0 and 2.0. Uh, is there something I need to worry about in relation to security center or the audit logs or something else before I, I spin up this new version of the container? Yes, as always. Uh, there's always one more thing you can think about. And, and to me, there's a couple of things. Um, first, talking about versioning, when you build Docker images, you have this great support for tags. So you can say that this is a preview 1.0, preview 0.1, pre, you know, whatever. And so you, you should never be afraid of pushing images to the repository. You should just tag it correctly and ensure that you stay consistent and then uh, push it. Because if all things fail, you can always go back to the previous image. Like we talked in the beginning of, the, of this episode, we said, usually you spin up an ACR and then you keep it. Because if you were to wipe the ACR all the time, then all the maintained history of images and tags would be wiped as well. Um, so that, that's one, don't be afraid to push images as long as you tag them accordingly. But um, there's two things when you update an image that I generally want to stay on top of. One is ensure that the base image is actually up to date. Because usually when you build an image, you're gonna say, I'm gonna base my image off of the ASP.NET 3.1 or um, ASP.NET Core 3.1 or any of these .NET images with the SDKs or the runtimes, or whatever it is. And that's always based, basing your image on a base image. In my case, I'm using the Microsoft base images for .NET and .NET Core uh, in pretty much all of my containers. Now, it's been over the last two years or three years when I've been working with these things, a couple of times the .NET blog has published uh, an article saying the .NET yeah, I don't remember exactly the version. Let's say .NET Core 1.1 has now two CVE, known CVE vulnerabilities and you should update to 1.1.12345, whatever. Um, knowing that, and then knowing that my base images that I'm uh, inheriting to my images when I build them are actually based on version 1.1 or whatever version has the vulnerability, 
makes me think twice. Let's go see, is there an updated base image? Yes, there is, which has mitigated and patched to the correct level of .NET. Then I want to ensure that my base image or my image is based on the correct and updated base image. So that's one aspect. Always ensure you stay up to date. Uh, and there's different ways you can do that. Um, a base image is, um, you know, maintainable in, in um, the, what you call Docker hub, which Microsoft maintains their base images in, and you can then subscribe to changes here. And when they get updates and they do get regular updates, uh, you should update your own images to the latest version too. And of course, test accordingly. But if you're doing a, a version upgrade from version 1.0 to 2.0, like in your example, then I would assume that you already have testing plans in place because that's a major up. Um, so with the ACR or Azure Container Registry, you get something called tasks that you can help automate this process. So that supports automated build execution when the base image is updated. So you can automate this. You don't have to stay on top of everything yourself. Uh, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes for how to use um, that automation. So you can take a look at how to do this yourself. So when Microsoft announces uh, an updated base image, you can automate this to ensure that the next build actually uses that base image, which is pretty slick. And the other thing, because we talk about like all these things about RBAC and whatever, this is a bit of perimeter security. What about trusting the image you put into the ACR? How do you ensure that whoever has credentials into ACR is trusted? And how do you know when you pull an image from the ACR that this image is actually verified? There's something called uh, in Docker, so this is not ACR specific, but Docker comes with a model called Content Trust. And that enables you to enforce signing of images that are pushed and pulled. Um, so with Content Trust, the idea is of course to verify the source and integrity of the image, ensuring that they are the images that we expect. Uh, so there are some steps involved for a full cycle content trust scenario to work, um, but they've done a great job documenting this in the official Microsoft do uh, documentation. So I will also put the, uh, the link in the show notes for how to do that. So I would not say that content trust is something you do from day one. If you have the time, if you have the resources, and if you plan on doing something that is going to live for a long time, take a look at it. It's going to be worth doing it sooner than later but there is also the option to enable it and then you know, start making use of it at any point in time. So I know you are a huge fan of Azure Key Vault and, and we've spoken about Key Vault before. And last year we did this, uh, this blog article together on using containers with Azure Container Instances, publishing your custom API, and then publishing that with a web application firewall if I remember correctly. Uh, I'll need to put the link in the show notes as well. And when we were building that article together, we wanted to script everything. And one of those aspects was that how do we pull our images from ACR to ACI, Azure Container Instances, using secrets in Azure Key Vault. Mm -hmm. So is the model still the same now about a year later? Or are you using... Azure Key Vault uh, for additional things as well in relation to ACR? I'm using Azure Key Vaults for a lot of things. And I use it also for things related to the ACR. So like I mentioned before, what I usually do is I disable the admin account, but then I have either a managed identity, then I don't have a secret uh, or a password that I need to maintain. So there's no need for the, the Key Vault from that angle. 
But if I do use service principles and I have a function app and a web app and whatever else that are using that service principle to access my ACR, then it needs a client ID and also a client secret. And that secret is something that is extremely sensitive and you need to protect it at all times. So then you can put the uh, client ID and secret into the key vault and ensure that you grant, just what we talked about before, you will grant RBAC access and access policies inside the key vault uh, to whatever service needs to grab those credentials to the service principal. So if you have a service principal with access to the key, to uh, ACR, your web app, your function app, whatever, can open the vault because they are authenticated and authorized to do so, read the service principal, client ID, and secret um, on the fly and use it to connect and then just drop that out of memory. Because what I have seen and what I keep seeing is function app configuration, which is app uh, settings and, and project JSON files and web apps with their configuration where people put in plain text configuration values for client ID and secret. And if you put them in an app service plan or, or a, a function app uh, with the configuration values, they appear as environment variables in your application, which means any process in the application can actually access that value. And also if you throw an error message, an unexpected error, and you accidentally show the error message and there's a dump of all the environment variables, voila, all the secrets are spilled. That's, that's um, the, the classic thing we had back way back in, in, in the day when you wouldn't disable custom errors in your web.config. Mm -hmm. And then when something went wrong in your ASP.NET application, it would dump everything on the screen for all users. Yeah. And so the thing is, you, you say that this happened in the classic days, yeah. but it, it's <laughs> not more than a couple of weeks since I saw exactly this, because also in, in Blazor, with the latest incarnation of .NET Core and ASP.NET, you can also turn off custom errors. And I've seen a production website using Blazor with this turned off, um, which of course is not optimal. So if that app would also tie into something in ACR or something in Key Vault or something that uses any type of sensitive data, do not put that in application config. And I was <laughs> clapping there in between every word just to make it very clear. Yes, I think we are <laughs> clear. So one last thing, do we have, besides all of these capabilities now in securing ACR, do we have anything we missed so far? Any, any kind of final switch that enabled this and you're good? Yeah, so actually one of the things I, I, maybe I should have mentioned that earlier, one of the things I do after I just review my design of, of role-based access control and, and ensuring that security center is covering everything that I have, one of the things I do is enable the firewall 100% of the times. Enable the firewall because with ACR, you get built-in protection using the firewall the same way that you get with a, an Azure storage account or the key vault. You can just say, you know what, I need to enable the firewall. And then you have support for virtual networks and you can make the virtual networks um, be delegated to use the, the ACR. So if you have a web app, on subnet one, two, three in virtual net one, you can tell the firewall for ACR to allow that subnet to actually access the ACR. So you can then delegate access to the function app, to the web app, and you can also add explicit permissions to your own IP address or your company's office's IP or whatever it is that you want to enable. Every other request in the world will be automatically denied. So definitely something to, to take a look at. Um, it's good to know 
about virtual networks and how they work, uh, specifically with ACR, also subnets and how they work, and then service endpoint and when and why to use them so you can enable service endpoint or not if you need that. Um, so yeah, with a virtual network or, or firewall rule in place, you can then more easily control the entire traffic flow. And this is something I, I try to enforce in all the scenarios that I'm, uh, I'm part of designing. Alrighty. So that's a lot of capabilities and options for securing ACR. Uh, and perhaps the most important lesson here besides everything we mentioned is to disable admin user and, and look at all the capabilities in how you can best secure ACR. So yep. we move to the last part of the, of the episode. Word of the day, we need to learn a bit more Swedish and a bit more Finnish. Let's start with Swedish again. So in Sweden, uh, the word I've chosen today is blåsväder. And the literal translation here is stormy weather. And I think this is applicable because today we have a storm. Uh, but it is not used when it's actually stormy weather. It's used when someone is in the news with a bad angle or you know, someone is, is being, being uh, burnt in media or you know, something like this or roasted in media. So it's, it's more like this person is in a blåsväder uh, because this, this person is now in a stormy weather, but it's not because of the actual weather. It's because you know, there's a storm going on around this person in, in some sense. Okay, seems seems simple enough. Even though I, I see it written as well, and and it's it's a little bit harder. So let me try, blåsväder. Uh, yeah, that's that's fairly accurate. So yeah, that's that's my move in svenska in action again. There you go. Alrighty, so the Finnish version. Uh, the word is yökyöpeli, and <laughs> I I chose this word specifically because it's it's a quite challenging pair of words so the first two characters is yö, y and o with the dots which means the night and kyöpeli means somebody well it doesn't really mean anything but when you combine that with the night then it becomes a night owl so mm -hmm. somebody who really doesn't go to bed early enough likes to stay up late perhaps because that one person wants to see the final episode of breaking bad i'm, I'm catching up on that series now kyöpeli Close, close. The, the, <laughs> the, the start is hard. It's yökyöpeli. Yökyöpeli. Yes. Fluent. Okay, there we go. Yes. Finnish and Perfect. Swedish of the day. And, Not too bad. And this was all we had for, for securing your Azure Container Registry. Until next time. Thanks. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. <laughs>